Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving Up Live right here on YouTube, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel, or where I am Twitter, as well as the Carving Up YouTube channel, the Grid Network YouTube channel. I'm Bryson Carver. Sorry there about the little technical difficulty. Did not unmute my mic there. But again, we've got a loaded show on tap for you guys tonight. About to get into the Jim Harbaugh story. Got some big, big development that just broke about a, a couple, two, three hours before the show started tonight. So very, very excited to, to get into that. Also, want to get into uh, Shohei Otani. So we're going to be doing a new segment on Carving Up Live. It's called Otani Watch. So basically, free agency in baseball, the, the period is kind of kicked off. So we're going to try and, and track, like, where is Shohei? Like, he's officially a free agent. Uh, he hasn't, you know, extended his contract with the Angels. It could be plenty of suitors. Duh, he's Shohei Otani. He's the best baseball player on the face of God's green earth. And uh, Lord knows the, the type of contract that he's going to get well-deserved, I might add. But uh, I wanted to talk about Shohei. In the sense of like, what what's the market for him? Who's who's interested in him? Uh, and and how does the, the, how does it look with him potentially going to Beantown and the Boston Red Sox? I'll get into that in our second segment. Also, the Vol View in a half hour at six thirty Eastern, three thirty three thirty Pacific time. Big episode of the Vol View. So this is it for Tennessee. The fate of Tennessee season in terms of their expectations to potentially get to the SEC title game. Could be decided this weekend. They've got a big game against Missouri on the road. We know Missouri, 14th ranked team in the nation. Excited to get into that. Uh, but the Georgia game is also interesting for Tennessee as well. Uh, why the Chicago Bears should learn from the mistakes of a franchise that's about to make a big one this weekend. About to get into that just in uh, later in about 45 minutes on the show after their win over the Panthers last night at the end of today's show. My NFL predictions. We got Bryce's bleak bet. We've got upset of the week. We've got, and I love this one, if I were a betting man, very excited for tonight's show. But first, I did want to get into college football and it's Jim Harbaugh. So I talked about this story on Wednesday and about how, you know, there was there was rumors, there were reports that a punishment could be coming down. Uh, you know, we, we know about the cheating scandal last three weeks with Michigan involving the fact that allegedly Harbaugh sent some staffers to games. Turns out there were staffers at games, scouts at games, uh, recording plays, recording hand signals. Uh, hand sig Stealing hand signs, for the record, is about as common as it is in baseball. But when you go as far as the Houston Astros did and uh, having electronic devices in center field and banging on trash cans, it's a different story. Michigan, what they're doing is not quite as bad as that. But if they are found guilty, and it, it, it you know certainly appears that there is some, some fishy business, little, some fishy stuff going on in terms of uh, their involvement in this, uh, they could be in some serious trouble in terms of a punishment from the Big Ten and from college football. So we got some news in today. This is from Pete Thamel, who's probably the premier, the most one of the most respected college football insiders. Think of him as the woge of, of college football. He reported uh, earlier today, if this is at 3.30 Eastern, so about two and a half hours ago, the Big Ten is expected discipline. Uh, is expected to discipline Michigan for the in-person scouting and ongoing sign-stealing investigation and will prohibit Jim Harbaugh from being on the sideline until the conclusion of the regular season. He will be allowed to coach during the week. This came in about 30 minutes later from Bruce Feldman, another very respected college football insider. He says, the Big Ten says it does not have knowledge indication that Jim Harbaugh was aware of the sign stealing, uh, signal stealing scheme. Quote, this is not a sanction of Coach Harbaugh. It is a sanction against the university that under the extraordinary circumstances presented by this offensive conduct. Uh, if we could pull up the rest of it. 
yeah, that's uh, that's what we got. Okay. But for Zimba, this defensive conduct. So basically, Harbaugh will not coach tomorrow. Michigan has a massive game tomorrow against Penn State at Penn State. Uh, so he will not be on the sideline for Michigan. Obviously, as this report, the early report by Pete Thamel says, he's going to coach throughout the week, not going to coach on Saturday. So what is my take on this? First of all, I think what the Big Ten did, what the commissioner did, is sort of cave into pressure just a little bit from other coaches in the conference. So we got the report earlier this week that this was the, the the leak that Michigan was involved in a little bit of fishy business, so to speak, did not come from inside the ranks. It actually came from Ohio State. There was people at Ohio State said, hey, look into Michigan, see what they're doing. So, and again, these are two of the biggest rivals in college football. So, of course, they're one to gain the edge. And if one program gets the opportunity to bust the other, they're not going to miss that opportunity. I think once again the Big Ten kind of caved under the pressure of the coaches. I actually saw Brett Bielma, the head coach of Illinois yesterday, just going on about Jim Harbaugh. It's awful for the sport, and Purdue's head coach was going on about Jim Harbaugh. Oh, my goodness, this is terrible. And is some of it a bit of jealousy because Michigan has dominated the Big Ten for going on three years now? Is some of it a, an, a level of animosity towards Jim Harbaugh? Jealousy is a real thing. Jim, as I said on Wednesday's show, is the one coach, if you had to give me a, a, a blind, if you put a blindfold on and say, we're not going to tell you if it's a college football program or an NFL uh, franchise, you get to choose a head coach, any head coach in college of the NFL, who'd you choose? I'd say it's Jim Harbaugh because he has an immense success in college, immense success in the National Football League. So I would take him. So is there a little bit of jealousy there, animosity there? The fact that Jim has been able to rebuild Michigan the way that he has. Again, back-to-back college football playoff appearances, looking to be going on three, potentially three straight Big Ten titles, although he's got to go through Penn State and Ohio State and whoever they played the Big Ten title game, assuming they got there. Maybe. Does it combine with the fact that there is some legitimate uh, concern regarding what Michigan has done and how much Harbaugh is involved with it? Which, again, Bruce Feldman says, hey, Harbaugh, the, the Big Ten, again, Big Ten says it does not have knowledge, indication that Jim Harbaugh was aware of the sign-stealing scheme. If the sign-stealing scheme is, is, is what we think it is, Jim Harbaugh was 100% aware. Okay, this is, I, I likened it in a much, much more dark and far more serious scandal that happened at Penn State about a decade and a half ago-ish. Uh, obviously not going to get into that today. Very awful situation there. Uh, the head coach was fully aware of what was going on. Again, far less, far, to a far lesser degree here with Jim Harbaugh, the head coach knows what's going on. This is why Northwestern fired their head coach with the whole hazing scandal. The head coach had to know what was going on. Come on. He's the, he's the head of the program. He's the king, so to speak, of the program. He knows. Jim Harbaugh knows. But I will reiterate today what I said Wednesday. And some more information has come out in the past few hours that we'll get into in just a second. But I will reiterate now what I did on Wednesday. And Greg McElroy, former quarterback at Alabama, was on ESPN today, kind of talk about the same thing I was talking about, saying that if Harbaugh's guilty, suspend Harbaugh. Throw the book at him. I don't care. You do that, you do, you know, we say if you do the crime, you do the time. So to speak, and in college football, if that's the case, you punish Jim Harbaugh. I have no, I've always been a Jim Harbaugh fan, but I have no problems with that if that's the case. You do not punish Michigan. Now, this does not appear to be the end of this investigation, of this 
back and forth sort of situation between Michigan and the Big Ten, which again, more on Michigan's pushback on it in just a moment. But assuming they don't find more, which who knows, they may, if they're going to investigate whether or not Jim was involved, I don't think it'll take a whole lot to find that. But Michigan, the players in particular, should not be punished for this. Because the fact of the matter is that, and I talked about this, if you look at Michigan's schedule, and by the way, three of these games they played, there was no Jim Harbaugh. Just for the record, because he got suspended for what was a bogus, uh, the whole burger thing, he gave a burger to recruit me. It's a more complex situation than that, but it's it's kind of silly. Here's the Michigan's play through their first nine games of the season. I'd say the cheating, so to speak, really, really, uh, you know, gave the players an unfair advantage against Green Rutgers, Nebraska, Minnesota, Indiana, Michigan State, Purdue. Come on. No serious person thinks that the players should be punished, or frankly, that any so-called cheating would have made an impact in any of these games. Michigan beat Michigan State 45 zip. Michigan State needs to worry about their program and the stuff that's involving their coach because it's a little bit worse than what's going on with Jim Harbaugh. Let's put it that way. Purdue. Okay. Could could, could you work on not getting smoked a 41-13? Maybe you can't because the roster isn't as talented. You can't, you cannot, you cannot punish these young players for what they've accomplished, for what the work that they put in. It's why I've said, while I acknowledge, and this is to a far greater degree than what Michigan has done, while I acknowledge, I think along with everybody else, that the Houston Astros 2017 title is nothing short of illegitimate. It does not count the same as every championship that's ever been won fair and square, at least in baseball, because we know there's not a, a sport in America shadier than Major League Baseball. But all the, all the championships that has been won fair and square, those are all kind of on equal footing. The Astros is not. That said, I've always said, you don't strip the title. Because while they did cheat, while it is illegitimate, the players did have to execute so-called cheating and otherwise. Michigan, it's far less of a degree there. It's very different than if you know the signals, know the play that the other team is running and knowing a pitch. It's very different because the margins are thin between a pitcher and a hitter. Not so much the case in college football, although it's somewhat close. If we get to the end of the season and Georgia's in and Washington's in, and let's say Michigan goes undefeated the rest of the way, they're 13-0, and 0, you're going to sit up there and tell me that we should put Florida State and Texas in over the Michigan Wolverines? Really? This is Ohio State, even though Michigan might have might have beaten them. Actually, they would have beaten them if, if Michigan's undefeated. Come on. This is not. Now, by the way, Michigan, as anybody has the right to do, has pushed back. So this is also according to Pete Thamel. This came in about an hour and a half ago. Michigan confirms in a statement that it will, quote, seek a court order to fight a decision from the Big Ten that calls it, quote, hasty and claims it violates the quote conference's own handbook so this is according to pete thamel so uh they are pushing back on it uh again they have every right to do that and so look it's 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 a it's a dicey situation do i think kind of agree with the university that the big 10 sort of acted impulsively yes because i do believe in due process i do believe in innocent until proven guilty um does it look like jim may very well be guilty sure but we gotta let the process play itself out we gotta gather more information do I think it's a fair punishment given how hasty it was? We're splitting hairs in that regard, but I guess 
Um, again, they're not banning Jim Harbaugh from the program. He could be there basically every day except Saturday, except game day. Uh, so again, he won't coach tomorrow against uh, Penn State. Next week, they play Maryland. They'll crush Maryland. The next week, obviously, is the game against Ohio State, which very well could determine a college football playoff spot and will undeniably determine the Big Ten champion. So you you you, you sort of get into the situation where you know it's it's it does feel like they acted a bit hasty, uh, as Michigan said. Um, I understand where they're coming from. I understand the stress of the Big Ten. I get that where you've got all the other coaches saying, "Hey, why aren't you guys doing anything?" Yeah, we steal signals. Let's bury that. Let's put that sweep that under the carpet. But they're going way too far. I get that, but the same in the same sense, there has to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a sense of leadership in that. So let the process play itself out. That's where I'm at. Now, should Michigan, again, I want to reiterate this one more time before we move on. Again, everybody feel free to comment uh, and, and let me know what you think in the comment section. Do I think Michigan, the program, should be suspended? Absolutely not. You're telling me that they're 9-0, second ranked in, I'm sorry, I apologize, third ranked in the country because uh, they might have known a few, few signs here and there. You think that made an impact against Eastern Carolina, Rutgers, and Purdue? I beg to differ. I'm certainly not excusing Jim Harbaugh in the slightest, but I don't think he should be given, quote-unquote, the death penalty by the Big Ten, and neither should the Michigan players. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. But it it's, listen, it gets more intriguing by the day, I'll tell you that. And it makes the the the, the Michigan-Penn State game, and again, I'm rolling with Michigan. They're a four-point favorite in this game. Is there, listen, is there, I, I've heard people talk about like, hey, as talented as Michigan is, this is a very, uh, this is a big, con this is the controversy of college football and their coach is in trouble and the program's in trouble and all this, all that. You know, th this, this could be too much for them. Sure. And, and obviously Penn State is miles better than anybody they played this season. This is really Michigan's first tough game and they're playing it on Veterans Day. I mean, that like that's, it, it took us that long just to get to that point. Uh, but I think you get to a point where you say, okay, you know, this is, this feels like something the players can rally around. This feels like something they can say, oh, they're going after our coach. Because evidently they love him well enough to have been as successful as they have in the last few years. And coaches, I'm sorry, players and coaches speak very highly of Jim Harbaugh. By the way, this is a tweet. Uh, I, I saw this earlier today. If I could pull this up. This is a tweet from, I hope I'm saying his name correct, correctly, uh, Biff Poggi, Pog, Poggi Poggi, I, I think is how you say his name. Uh, he is the head coach at, uh, I think it was, it was at the University of Charlotte. I think it, Charlotte, Char Charles, I, I think it was Charlotte. Um, hang on. Let me pull up his tweet because I want to, I want to be correct here. Okay. He is the head coach at Charlotte, University of Charlotte. And he says, quote, and he worked at Michigan under Harbaugh. He said, quote, I have been quiet on the Michigan situation, but no longer. I was closer to Jim Harbaugh over the last three years than anyone except his wife and kids. If Jim knew, I would have. If Jim knew, I would have known. I didn't know, and neither did he. I stake my reputation on it. Stop whining and get a better team. Now that could be as simple as him sticking up for his buddy. I don't know. Uh, does his comments hold some merit? Maybe. He is. He is a head coach of another program. You know, he doesn't necessarily have to stick his his neck out like this to for a program that he doesn't even work at. Does he feel loyalty to Jim for the job that he has? I don't know. Uh, it could be as simple as that could be as, as simple as, yeah, he, he thinks Jim is innocent. I don't know. Again, if this went down, the head coach knew he did. 
Scouts are just going around the country without the head coach knowing. Uh, so that's where I'm at. It's a complex situation. Very, very much so. Again, the college football last, last three weeks of the season, it's going to be fun. A lot of stuff in the Big Ten. Pac-12's wild. Washington, Oregon. Utah's, uh, you know, you know, Utah is very frisky. Shocked somebody, potentially. Ended USC's playoff hopes last year. SEC, you got Georgia. Bama's is kind of the top dogs. What's new? But uh, Tennessee, and I'll talk about the ball view, could need some help, but Tennessee could could make some noise. You never know. Ole Miss as well. So very, very fun. I love college football. Love it. You know what else I love? I know I want to get a lot of credit to, and I sincerely, and I mean this, sincerely apologize. I meant to do this at the beginning of the show, and I did not. Uh, tomorrow, and I mentioned this in my Opening right about Jim Harbaugh. Tomorrow is Veterans Day. Uh, so I want to give uh, nothing but love and a big fat shout out uh, to all the incredible men and women who have served this country, um, who have uh, fought to preserve the freedoms that we enjoy every day in this nation. Uh, you know, th this is we, – we, we talk about the – I, I've never been <laughs> one to be shy from time to time. I mean, I, I end every show talking about how we need to address gun violence because it's something that – just means a lot to me. I don't know if it's because I'm a Gen Z or I don't know, but for all the issues that we have in America with a range of issues, uh, these men and women are the best of us. There's no question about it. And so I want to give them nothing but love and a shout out for the service to this nation, by the way. And I always want to do this for on the, on veterans day, Memorial day, any day in which we are uh, celebrating our troops, celebrating the, the incredible people who, who keep this country going. Uh, I always want to give a shout out to their families who sacrifice as you know in, in a sense as much as they do because they you know they're they're at home while their loved ones are serving abroad uh, and in other places around the nation around the world and so uh, I have members in my family I have veterans in my family uh, so I'm sure a lot of you out there do as well so shout out to all of them salute to all of them and uh, God bless y'all because y'all 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 deserve all the love you get there's no question about it no question about it so happy Veterans Day to all all of our vets out there. Did want to shift, though, to a brand new segment we are going to do on Carving Up Live. Temporary segment, sure, but a relevant one nonetheless. So Major League Baseball free agency is kind of heating up. A lot of good ones. on the. I saw my Red Sox uh, are potentially in the market for Jordan Montgomery. Very interesting. I wouldn't be mad if we brought in a guy of his caliber on the mound. Wouldn't be mad. Need it. But the, the headliner... In the same sense, I would argue tenfold that Aaron Judge was last year. Remember the Judge thing? And we thought for a while, hey, he may end up going to the San Francisco Giants. And it turns out he stayed with the Yankees. They gave him his money, and so he's good there. He, he, he's there as the, as the captain of the Yankees for, for the next decade, essentially. More or less. Less. Uh, but Shohei Otani, superstar, two-way player, pitcher, hitter, pitcher and designated hitter, for the Los Angeles Angels. So, it's my honor, and it is my privilege, to introduce a brand new segment to Carving Up Live. It is simply titled, Otani Watch. Here we go.
There we go. That was fun. Otani watch on Carving Up Live. So, again, Shohei Otani is officially a free agent. Of course, he spent the last seven seasons. Uh, yeah, seven seasons with the Los Angeles Angels. Although, although I, I do notice a lot of people in Los Angeles get very offended when you refer to them as the LA Angels, uh, just, just refer to them as, as Anaheim, whatever. Uh, he played for the Angels, that's the point. But uh, no shocker here, he's going to have plenty of suitors. Most notably, a team not too far from LA, uh, not too far from the Angels, the LA Dodgers. So the Dodgers who have appeared to, there's no cap uh, in, in Major League Baseball, but it would appear that the Dodgers, who have been the, the kings of the payroll over the last half decade plus, uh, have appeared to almost, they've let go of some guys, let go of Trey Turner, let go of Justin Turner, who, by the way, signed with my Red Sox. Hope we bring him back, but if we want to shine, sign Shohei Otani, we may have to let uh, my, my favorite redhead in Major League Baseball uh, uh, walk and go elsewhere. But, so we've got a few reports here. So this is from the New York Post. So, this says that according, obviously the Angels are interested in Shohei Dove. Of course they are, even though he's he's not, there's no way he's coming back. He, he left, he basically left the organization toward the end of the season. He's like, heck with y'all, I'm out of here. But apparently there are a number of interested parties. And this is according to DraftKings on their team odds for Shohei. All of these teams, all of these teams, I can, can't, I can't confirm, are interested in him. They are in this order. Dodgers, Cubs, Giants, Mets, Yankees, Rangers, Red Sox, Mariners, Angels, Phillies, Blue Jays, Padres. Those are the key organizations that are very interested in Shohei. Reportedly, the Dodgers are making the strongest push for him, as are Seattle, and reportedly as well, the San Francisco Giants. Again, Mets, Yankees are going to make a push. He's not coming to New York. I hate to squash the dreams of Yankees fans. No, I don't actually love it. Um, hate the Yankees. Always have, always will. By the way, since we're talking about the Yankees, Big Poppy. Yankees lose. <laughs> I'm not going to miss the opportunity to do that ever. Love David Ortiz. But Yankees, y'all not getting him, okay? Can't sign a big-name free agent uh, that isn't from outside the organization the last few years. Yes, you did bring in uh, Derek Cole not so long ago. Uh, Aaron Judge, though, you kept him. Like, I, I remember when they re-signed Aaron Judge last year, and a lot of Yankees fans were saying, oh, we're the favorites to win the, the American League this season. I said, no, you're not. You just retained a guy. A very important guy. One of the five best players in the sport, likely. But... You just kept him. You didn't add another Aaron Judge or a player similar to his caliber and his impact on, on, on that baseball team. The Mets, stop it. So, ain't nobody going to your, your, your poorly run franchise. Yeah, you got Francisco Lindor, and he's he's been good for you guys. And Pete Alonzo, we'll see what his future is uh, in New York. But you tried the Verlander thing. It failed. It blew up in your face. He flourished in Houston. You tried the Scherzer thing. He's got another ring for, with the Texas Rangers. So anytime Lindor is, is, is a little bit of an outlier, he, he's been good. Not quite as good as he was in his Cleveland years, but still a very productive player at shortstop. But the Mets are as, as, as infamous as any organization. They try and experiment, try and uh, fool the baseball world that they're going to make this work, and it usually blows up in their face. So the Mets aren't getting him. The Yankees sure as heck aren't getting him. So what does it narrow down to? At least I think L.A. Dodgers would seem like the most likely destination for obvious reasons. He's played in L.A. the last seven years. He basically wouldn't have to move. He goes from one of the worst-run organizations in the sport to one of the best. He goes from one of the worst rosters in the sport to one of the best. Uh, he would team up with Mookie Betts, 
with Freddie Freeman, whether Kershaw, I think Kershaw announced he was going to come back and play at some point in 2024. When that will be, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll soon find out. Walker Bueller's dealt with him in some injuries, but they got him there. Good rotation, solid bullpen, solid, not great. Uh, although none of the pitching performed very well against the Diamondbacks in the playoffs when they got swept. But still, that's a tremendous roster, tremendous uh, lineup still. I do have questions about David, if Dave Roberts, who, you know, that's my guy from the Red Sox, helped us come back from 03 in, in 2004. But he's not the guy for the, for the Dodgers got, job. He basically handed us the Red Sox game four in that 2018 World Series. And the Nationals can say a bit of the same in 2019. And other organizations can say the same about, you know, whether or not they played the Dodgers in the postseason. So the Dodgers are in the mix. There's no question about that. Second team is, I think, the Chicago Cubs. So the, the Cubs have, are again, according to Vegas, they have the Dodgers as the favorite at plus 110, the Cubs at plus 350. So what folks are saying, or at least what I think about the Cubs, so they move on from David Ross, beloved member of that 2016 Cubs team, the catcher. They hire Craig Council, manager for a long time with the Milwaukee Brewers, bring him in to say, like David Ross, we almost, I mean, came that close with kind of a, we're in kind of a rebuilding situation, although they did spend a lot in free agency the last couple of seasons, but, or off seasons, but they hire a proven uh, guy who's been there, done that type of manager uh, to, to, to run the operate not to run the operations, to run the ball club. So they bring him in. It's a talented roster. Uh, Cody Bellinger's there, obviously good starting pitching. So it's going to be a matter of whether or not they're able to entice Shohei Otani to come to Chicago, big market, big city, historic ballpark, Wrigley field, which, is that reason to me? I don't know. If it's on the West Coast. Maybe. I don't think he's coming to Seattle. I mean, when's the last big free agent that the Seattle Mariners got? I mean, that's a, a genuine question. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a minute. That's why I think the third team in the running is the Boston Red Sox. Here's why. So, the owner of the Red Sox, John Henry, he's been there a while. Been there for decades as the primary owner of the Boston Red Sox. So Boston, back-to-back -back years, trust me, you don't have to tell me twice as a Red Sox fan, back-to-back -back years finishing last in a loaded AL East. Now, the solace I can take in that is the fact that of the five teams in the AL East, they won a grand total of zero playoff games. So Red Sox fans, Yankees fans, the one thing, and I mean the one thing that we can unite on, we got to laugh at the Orioles, at the Rays, and at the Blue Jays. But last place back-to-back -back years with an organization with this much uh, history, especially being the team with the most championships in the 21st century. I often say, carving up live. The Yankees own the 20th century. The Red Sox will own the 21st. Well, thus far, that's been the case. They have the most titles, followed by the Giants. The Red Sox have four. Giants have three. So, back-to-back -back last place, place finishes isn't going to cut it. But they move on from Heim Bloom, the general manager, bringing a new guy, former pitcher. So what do they do? Well, John Henry is talking to the media in Boston. You could say this is just speaking to the fan base. I, I don't know. I, he, he's historically been a very aggressive owner. He says, if I could pull up the quote here, he, Tom Werner, I'm sorry, did I say John? I said John Henry, uh, J Tom Werner, who's the chairman, recently said that the team plans to, quote, go full throttle to rectify last place finishes in three of the last four seasons, and nothing would prove that like going all in for Otani. That is according to Nesson, the New England Sports Network. But Otani has ties to Boston. You know who Otani's with? His shoe brand, cleat brand, whatever? New Balance. New Balance is in with the Red Sox, one of their primary sponsors. But you could see a big New Balance sign 
at Fenway Park and all across the ballpark in general. Also, one of his best friends plays for the Red Sox. One of his best play, one of his best friends plays for Red Sox and had a fantastic season. Uh, Yoshida, uh, who who had a great year. Uh, uh, crap, if I could pull, yeah, Masataka Yoshida, who had a big time year for the Red Sox last year. Also, and by the way, they competed together on the Japanese World, uh, World Baseball Classic team that ended up winning it all. Shohei, we remember, struck out his teammate, Mike Tr- about to be former teammate, Mike Trout, to win the tournament. Also, the Red Sox have a deep history, at least a recent history, of signing big-name Japanese players. Remember Dice K Red Sox fans from 07? Helped them win the championship, beat the Colorado Rockies in doing so? Remember Koji Uehara, the closer on the 2013 Red Sox team? Remember him? He was good. So the Red Sox have historically been a team that pursues Japanese players. And I'm hearing, I've heard it from Red Sox fans, heard it from others. Well, Shohei's not going to pitch in 2024. I've heard this from Red Sox insiders. And the Red Sox need pitching right now. Okay, listen. I, I like the, I just like the next Red Sox fan. Of course, I want us to win the World Series in 2024. Does that make it terribly realistic? Not really. I mean, it's 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 a good offense and a pitching rotation with serious limitations. Yes, this is this would be the definition of not signing Shohei of winning the battle, losing the war. Whether you sign Shohei or not, that's an extra pitch you're not going to have in your rotation. But 2024 on, you say, well, what about that's two Tommy John surgeries. How about a former Red Sox pitcher, Nate Evaldi? How's he doing in Texas now? For the record, how'd he do in Boston before that? Helped us win a championship in 2018. Helped the Rangers win a championship this year. Won the last game of the World Series, Game 5, against Arizona. So all the history with the Red Sox, all of the offseason moves thus far for the Red Sox, Shohei's connections to the Red Sox in business and in terms of his buddies, I don't know. Outside the Dodgers and the Cubs, I don't see anybody else complete, competing with Boston. Not the New York teams, not Seattle. The Giants potentially. It's West Coast Bay Area. Maybe he wants to move uh, moves to move down or move up to North Carolina. Go to the Bay Area. Understandably so. That's a great sports market. I understand that. I think it's down. Dodgers, Cubs, Red Sox. This could change by next week on Otani Watch. Very well could. Very well could. But the way I see it. His connections in Boston, Red Sox history. I think Boston has a good chance to bring in Showtime himself. Very, very exciting. Free agency is just going to continue. The process of free agency is just going to continue over the next few weeks. I think it's all when it's all said and done, unless the Dodgers or Cubs sign him, and the Dodgers, it would seem, would be the most likely. I think he might be pitching in 2025 and hitting as soon as 2024 at Fenway Park for years to come. Shoyotani, if there's one thing I can guarantee you, given our history and otherwise, if there's one thing I can guarantee you that you have the best chance to do in Boston, this is my recruiting pitch here, carving up live. Get one of these bad boys. Get a get the, one of those shiny things to put in your finger. You know, a lot of legendary players haven't won, but the ones who have, they're lifted into a different, different ilk, different stratosphere. That's all I'm saying. It's it's okay. It's it's you can still get the money in Boston and contend for championships. It's an aggressive organization historically. It's a well-run organization with the ownership that's been there for some time now. They moved on from their awful president of baseball operations. 
general manager. Times are changing in Boston. These last place finishes back-to-back seasons, not going to cut it. Not That is not up to the Red Sox standard. You can be a part of that show, hey. The shift in Boston back to winning baseball. It's up to you, man. It's up to you. If you're the Red Sox, don't you shortchange this, man. Don't you, don't, don't. This is a, remember I talked about blank check quarterbacks a couple weeks ago? If there were ever a blank check player in the history of Major League Baseball, 150 years plus, oh, is this guy. Yeah, yeah, it's this guy. So that's it. Otani watch. Red Sox, think we got a good shot at landing them. Tune in next week. Second, third segment of the day, depending, depending on when the Vol View is, depending on what topics we have for a show. But what I do know is every Friday for free agency until we get a, dis, a not a decision, but a, a uh, I, I guess technically a decision by Shoei Otani, we will be coming back weekly on Fridays with Otani Watch. Very exciting. New segment. I decided to shake it up a little bit. Bring in some baseball. Okay, because we know that the Otani, Otani Watch, so to speak, is far more relevant than the World Series ever thought about being. Uh, and, and, and again, my man Barry Grant Jr., shout out to Barry in the Olive Podcast, was talking about this on his show recently, how the cities that participate, the organizations, the brands that participate really does matter in terms of the interest of the World Series. Baseball's never been less popular ever. A lot of that's because their postseason comes in the middle of the NFL season. Basketball starting, we, we know the NBA is more popular. So, I mean, I, th- I think it was, ab- I think World Series were watched on average like 9 million people per per game. I mean, it's it's like, we made fun of the NBA when they were hitting those numbers. It, or if they ever did hit those numbers. Baseball, it's like, yeah, it's, Lowest World Series rated World Series ever. That's where it's at. So I didn't want to shift though. A few minutes late. That's okay though. I did because I, I, I want to get in on Shohei. Uh, we have some great go- college games this weekend. So I talked about Michigan to lead the show. They obviously play Penn State at Penn State. They're four point favorites. I'm going to go with Michigan to win. I don't know if I'd take them to cover by four. That's that's a line. I'll say I'll take Michigan by a field goal. That's a tough place to play. At Penn State, but I'll still go with Michigan. Uh, I got some interesting games. I mean, I'm always going to watch Colorado, but you got Arizona, Colorado at uh, 11 a.m. Colorado time. Arizona's a 10 point favorite in Colorado. I think I'm going to go with the with the Buffaloes for the upset. What else do we have? Utah, Washington. Again, I got Washington. I'm, I'm a big. I know everybody kind of just automatically thinks it's going to be Caleb Williams one, which it is, and Drake May two. I, this is not a slight at Drake May. I love the kid. I genuinely do. He reminds me a lot of Justin Herbert. You guys know I loved coming out of Oregon. Michael Penix Jr. is the second-best quarterback in the nation, folks. We saw it last week. We've seen it all season long. The throws he can make outside the pocket, in the pocket, the arm strength, the accuracy. Love him. He is He's Tua, but more talented. And that's not to say Tua isn't talented because he is. He went fifth overall in 2020. But this guy, man. So we got some good college games. This weekend, uh, USC Oregon's somewhat interesting. I always want to see Caleb Williams, but this is a big stretch for my Tennessee Volunteers. So, this week's edition of All View, the stakes are oh so high. This week's edition of All View could come down to uh, you know a, a last. This is Tennessee's last stand potentially in terms of their goals and their opportunity to get to the SEC title game. The Volview, a high stakes Volview, starts right now.
football time in Tennessee. It is indeed football time in Tennessee. Although Tennessee is playing a road game this week, they're second in the last three weeks. A big SEC road test at the Missouri Tigers, the 14th ranked team in the nation. Tennessee, the 13th ranked team in the nation. 3.30, CBS kickoff. Tennessee on the road, a two and a half point favorite against the Tigers. So, this is obviously a big one for Tennessee, not just to to get to Aiton, or yeah, get to Aiton to keep pace the SEC East, but it's very possible, and unfortunately not in Tennessee's control, that the SEC race could very well end tomorrow night in Athens, Georgia. So Tennessee's game is at three thirty against Missouri, uh, Central. I think yeah, Central Time, Missouri, two thirty Central. Georgia, right after that game on ESPN, plays a massive game. They've got the ninth ranked Ole Miss Rebels coming into town. And Ole Miss, who has impressed this year, although not the greatest performance last week against Texas A&M. A&M wasn't very good situationally in that game, but props Ole Miss, they were able to pull away uh, at the very end. Georgia's a 10.5-point favorite in that game. It's as simple as this for Tennessee. Obviously, they have to win tomorrow against Missouri to keep their SEC East hopes alive. But at that point, they're going to turn on ESPN. They're going to watch Ole Miss-Georgia cross their fingers, pray, whatever they got to do, and hope that Ole Miss can come into Athens and steal a win, which is something that has not been done since 2020, last time the Georgia Bulldogs lost a home game. So, Georgia's a 10.5-point favorite. If Georgia were to lose, then it's down to next week. The SEC East will basically be decided next week in Knox, Vegas, at Neyland Stadium, Vols, Dogs, back-to-back defending national uh, champions against Tennessee, who would have come off, obviously, a big road win against Missouri for the SEC East. That game for the East means nothing if either Tennessee loses, which at that point, it's irrelevant, whatever Georgia does at that point, uh, or if Georgia wins against Ole Miss. But for Tennessee's game, because this segment is, after all, called The Vol View, let's talk more Tennessee than we do Georgia. We'll talk more about Georgia on next week's edition of The Vol View. But Tennessee is, again, on the road, a two-and-a-half-point favorite ESPN's matchup predictor, which I tend to be a little little wary on because they can be a bit inaccurate. I think they had the Golden State Warriors with a 12% chance to win the finals in 2022. So you have to be a little bit dicey about this. But they say Tennessee has about a 61% chance to win this game. So I'll I'll take that against the 14th-ranked team in the nation on the road. If you look at what Tennessee, though, has done to Missouri, since Josh Heupel's got there. So Josh Heupel, fun fact, used to be the offensive coordinator uh, at Missouri with Drew Locke. Remember Drew Locke now, backup quarterback in Seattle, was a highly touted uh, prospect, uh, or I should say highly touted, but a touted prospect coming out of Missouri. He was his offensive coordinator there uh, for a while. He coached at Missouri as, as his OC. But Tennessee and Missouri have played uh, the last the last two games. One was in Missouri in 2021. One was in Knoxville. When they played in Missouri, first game under Josh Heupel against his old squad, the Vols won 62-24. to it was, it was a beatdown. Last year, I attended this game. <laughs> the Vols hung 66 against Missouri and once again only gave up 24. So... That Missouri bunch, for lack of a better term, is going to be pissed off 
come out the last two years. And fun fact for those that maybe didn't catch, maybe don't uh, ref- you know refresh your brain to to think about. First thing that comes to mind is the last two minutes of Tennessee Missouri in week. 11 of last season. That's okay because I don't think about that much either. But I, what I can tell you is this because I attended that game. Remember Hendon Hooker? Hendon Hooker was going to win the Heisman until he got injured. But Hendon Hooker played that game, played great. Jalen Hyatt had a big game now with the New York Giants, which they throw in the ball, but that's not here or there. And Josh Heupel put Joe Milton in the game. Joe Milton, now the starter for the Tennessee Falls at quarterback, put him in, had an opportunity with about two minutes left to take an E to say, We're going home, took care of business, won by five touchdowns. Let's take an E, run the clock out. Let's move on to South Carolina next week. Josh Heibel said, nah, nah, we're at 59. Let's push it to 60 for two years in a row. Joe Milton takes a bomb shot down the field. They get down to the red zone. They score and put up that 66th point with the extra point. So Missouri, not going to feel too great about that. Now, here's the thing about Tennessee. And this is this to me is absolutely critical uh, in terms of the matchup uh, aspect of this. So if you look at what Tennessee has done in terms of their ability to run the football, which we again I keep saying this, we think of Tennessee as this, uh, you know, not air raid, but taking shots down the field. Ramel Keaton, Squirrel White, uh, Deontay Thornton, like you got some big time playmakers down the field for the Vols but they are number one in the SEC in rushing yards. Just a little bit, or I shouldn't say just a little bit, uh, 140 yards ahead of LSU. So Tennessee leading the SEC in rushing yards, uh, averaging about 5.78 yards a carry. That is not first. LSU averages uh, more than Tennessee on the ground, but Tennessee also leads the nation by a mile. I'm sorry, leads the SEC by... I should say a mile, but by a lot, by 15 yards in rushing yards per game, 227 rushing yards per game for Tennessee. It's because they have a three-headed monster running back. They have Jalen Wright, they have Jabari Small, and they have this young kid. And they often, Josh Heupel did this against Kentucky two weeks ago. He said, I'm going to go with the two-headed monster, Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, y'all going to carry the load in the backfield for three quarters. And then I'm going to bring in Mr. Dylan Sampson, young kid, off the bench essentially. Like he's like their sixth man almost. Bring him in, fourth quarter, fresh legs, defense is tired. Use that to our advantage with the great offensive line, Cooper Mays. He's a Cooper Mays. Think about this for, the, for you, those of you that aren't Vols fans. Think of Cooper Mays as the Jason Kelsey. They obviously play the same position, center. Jason Kelsey up front for that Vols offensive line. Joe Milton, last few weeks, has not turned the fo- football over against Kentucky or against uh, UConn, in which Tennessee did win 59 to three. I was almost correct in the score. I said Tennessee 59. UConn 10, they ended up winning 59-3. to Sue me. It was close enough. I was right in Tennessee's end of the bargain. Uh, but the clicking offensively, again, UConn, you're supposed to win that game as a five-touchdown favorite, but still took care of business, won a big road SEC test at Kentucky. This will be Tennessee's toughest test of the season, not named Alabama, and that includes Florida. Yes, Tennessee is cursed at Florida, but Tennessee's better than Florida, but they lost at the Swamp because they can't win at the Swamp. It only won twice since 1977. Can't win there. It drives me crazy. But again, the last time they played at Missouri, 62-24 to happened. And I would certainly argue that talent-wise, this team's better. This defense is better. This defense, James Pierce, Tyler Barron can get to the quarterback. Norman Lott up the middle. Has struggled with penalties a little bit, so you got to kind of dial that back. But here's what I'm looking at for Tennessee, okay? So you say, okay, timeout. We've got 
the advantage in terms of the running game. Missouri, fine again, uh, stopping the run, but again, nothing to to necessarily write home about. Uh, Tennessee, again, number one, the SEC by by a lot in rushing the football. When it's all said and done, uh, I think for the Vols, it's going to be a matter of taking care of the football. Again, this this doesn't sound sexy. It doesn't sound like uh, a, a typical a Tennessee game from a year ago, but key for the Vols, taking care of the football, running it effectively. Missouri has at times struggled to stop the run. They certainly did against Georgia last week. If you look what the Bulldogs did uh, on the ground against Missouri and what was kind of a do-or-die game for Missouri, also in Athens, uh, which, by the way, Georgia won that game 30-21. to Missouri competed, uh, but Georgia ran for 131 yards. Now, Missouri, on the other hand, ran for 151, uh, whereas Brady Cook, quarterback for Missouri, struggled uh, in turning the football over. Opportunistic Tennessee secondary, but more than that, it's a defense that can get to the quarterback. It's an offense that can uh, protect protect its quarterback in Joe Milton. That's able to run the football effectively. So with all that said, I think my Tennessee Volunteers will cover minus two and a half, put up the final score here, and beat Missouri. I'll give it 42 to 20. I'm not going to say 60. So, I mean, listen, 63 straight years would just be a, a, abuse. I mean, that, that would be... They might have to consider making some changes at Missouri. I mean, that's unbelievable. But I think my Vols will get it done 42-20 to 20 against the Missouri Tigers tomorrow in CBS primetime, so to speak. CBS could be starting doing the Big Ten next season, which is which is sad for me as an SEC fan. Uh, ESPN's going to be doing more SEC than that. But Tennessee 42, Missouri 20 when it's all said and done. So with all that said, that is it for this week's edition. And by the way, before I close, it is um, – I don't want to speak this into existence, but I do think Georgia's going to win against Ole Miss. Now, if Georgia loses to Ole Miss, man, next week's Vol View. It's already going to be big because we're playing back-to-back national champions, rival in Georgia at Neyland. But if it decides the SEC East, if we, the Tennessee Volunteers, have a chance to finally get to the SEC title game for the first time since 2007, Man, the intensity on this show is going to be off the freaking charts. But I do think Georgia's going to win. My, I'm going with my head over my heart. That said on Monday, if I come in off a Georgia loss, a Tennessee win, man, I'll be beside myself. And dare I say, Tennessee gets a little lucky. Georgia wins. Tennessee wins this weekend. I'm sorry, Georgia loses and Tennessee wins this weekend. Tennessee shocks Georgia in Knoxville. They'll beat Vanderbilt, obviously. Gets the SEC title game, beat Alabama. We very well may, t- be, uh, may be having a discussion that I had at the beginning of the season of the Vols being in the old college football playoff. I'm just throwing it out there. That is it. This week's edition of the Vol View.
It's football time in Tennessee. Go. Again, I've got the Vols. 42 to 20. Convincing win over Missouri. Again, you give up 60 points back-to-back years. I'm not going to say give up 60 again, uh, but Missouri does at times struggle to stop the run. Tennessee will run it right down their throats and get the W. We've got some comments here. Here we go. I love getting the comment section. John Rivera, Fan Perspective Podcast, and I will refer to him as this until proven otherwise, the defending 8 o'clock spot champion. Congrats, John. John, he's in the comments. He says the Bears, Chicago Bears, who I'm about to get into in just a moment, can go from worst to first fast. Potentially, and I will elaborate that on it. Uh, elaborate on that in my next segment. My man Grady Edwards, what's up, Grady? He says, "Do you think Josh McDaniels would make a good college football coach?" Well, here's the thing about Josh McDaniels that a lot of college coaches have, but you got to kind of build this, build a sense of uh, equity establish your culture before you can really do this. And I don't know if Josh McDaniels recognizes this, which is probably why it failed in Denver years ago and now most recently in Vegas. If you notice, a lot of college coaches, with some exceptions, are a little, I don't want to say in themselves in terms of their system, but it is a little bit that way. I mean, I talked about Dabo Sweeney last week, last week in Carving Up the Context, that Dabo really is, is married to his way, which, by the way, his way worked very well. They got to four national title games. They won two of them. Deshaun Watson was successful. Trevor Lawrence, even more successful. Heisman finalist and NFL draft picks and success galore. But once college football kind of moved away from what Dabba was good at, he refused to adapt and evolve. Josh McDaniel seems to be in that sort of ilk where it's the Patriot way, which for the if I have to hear the Patriot way one last time, I'm going to throw up on the show. It's, it drives me crazy when people, the Patriot, and that's not, by the way, it's not a shot at your team, Grady. It's it's not because Grady's a Patriots fan. He loves the Patriots, loves the Panthers. So I, he's talked about it before. I, I don't know how you're surviving this NFL season, buddy. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you for pulled for hanging out there, but um, yeah, that's kind of where it's at, where Josh thinks he can just carry the Patriot way. I say that air quotes to the Vegas Raiders, or in this case, Grady college. That doesn't work anymore. I'm not saying again. You, you know, my my dad has a saying. I've quoted my dad a lot this week, uh, but he deservedly so. Shout out, dad. And he always he 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 has the quote. Sometimes he says that players sometimes need to hear an attaboy, like that. And he used the context. He used that in as any time the conversation of Tennessee's former coach uh, Jeremy Pruitt, uh, who was the head coach before Josh Heupel. I could not. S- Listen, I don't want to take a shot at him as a guy, but Jeremy Pruitt used to get on my last nerves as, as a Tennessee's coach. I mean, folks, Jeremy Pruitt, for those of you who don't know, this is getting to a little bit of a little bit in the weeds here, but Jeremy Pruitt would, if there was a game years ago where Tennessee actually played Missouri, ironically, it's it's funny we're playing Missouri this week. They played Missouri. They had three receivers go for over 100 yards. That's the first time that ever happened in the program's history. And Cole Kublik, who works for the SEC Network, he does a great job for them, former offensive lineman at Auburn. And he was talking to Pruitt, and he said, Coach, it's the first time. I'm not quoting for verbatim. This is just off the top of my head. Uh, he says, Coach, this is the first time that your team is – that three receivers have gone for over 100 yards. <laughs> and, and Tennessee obviously won the game. And Pruitt's like, yeah, I could have played better. I didn't like that we did that, this, this, and this. And – 
It's a, it's like, God, you can't give your players anything. I mean, what, what's going on here? I mean, even Nick Saban, when Nick, when Alabama plays well, Nick Saban is not he- hesitate to, to give them their love, give them their props. Like the, in the modern day college football, and I'm not saying it was the right thing to do back in the day, but certainly not now, that when your team plays well, give them props. Like that, that when they hear their head coach, because, you know, your coach, get on you all week, it's practice, you're watching film, you're in the weight room. Like it's a grind to get ready for game day every week. And so when you hear the head of the program, especially when it's a legendary guy, prove it's not, but like a Nick Saban say, hey, job well done. We executed well. We play well. I like what this guy did, this guy did, this unit did. That builds your confidence. It does, especially as a college kid. Uh, and Pruitt never understood that. And I don't think Josh McDaniels understands that terribly well. Not to the level that Pruitt did, but it's kind of what I it's kind of the 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 avenue that I'm that I'm looking at there. Uh <laughs> Grady. Now the Lakers, man, because Grady's a Lakers fan. Yuck. 2023 is a bad sports year for me. Hey, we, you know what? We all go through it. He has uh, gone through it. It's I still I wasn't going to talk about the Lakers day. I, I still not going to spend a ton of time on them, but I still think they're going to get it right at some point. Again, they got off to this rough start last year. Now the difference between this year and last year is they got off to a rough start last year. And aside from like five players, Braun and AD included, they just said, get out of here. We're, we're bringing in reinforcements. Uh, you know, we're bringing D'Angelo Russell back and we're bringing Rui Hachimura and Jared Vanderbilt and all these guys. And it helped them end up winning two series in the playoffs before they lost to Denver. Uh, I still think they'll get it right. I don't think Darvin Ham's the guy. I've been saying that since the beginning. Said so they should have traded Anthony Davis. They still won't do that. It's neither here nor there. But I think I I hope they don't because that's one of the few teams I genuinely fear as a Warriors fan in the Western Conference. But given the the way the West has started this year, it looks like it's getting now. Dallas has gotten off to a good start, but I don't trust Kyrie uh, in the postseason without LeBron. I don't trust Luka defensively. Uh, now Derek Lively, the rookies played well. But I feel like Minnesota's off to a tough start, but they'll screw it up. It's Minnesota. They always screw it up. Uh, it feels like right now it's kind of a two-horse race with Denver and Golden State. It, it really does, uh, which I'm very happy about as a Warriors fan. Grady, as Josh McDaniels would say, Bryson, don't you dare talk about the Patriots like that. Yeah, Grady and I were talking about that the other day. Yeah, and it's it's a. I think I told it on my story, on my story, on my show on Monday, the Jay Glazer report that Josh McDaniels was uh, – was was you know they had a team meeting and he he had Antonio Pierce who was at the time the linebackers coach now he's the interim coach they had him he had he said hey coach Pierce whatever speak to the team or something and Antonio Pierce had like the room fired up like let's go like really commanded the presence immediately and but in his motivational speech whatever I don't know if he went full Ray Lewis I don't know if he went Dwayne the Rock Johnson I don't know what he did but apparently in that monologue so to speak. He mentioned about how the Giants, everybody counted the Giants out, but then we beat the Patriots in 2007. Well, because Antonio Pierce played for the Giants, Josh McDaniels coached on the Patriots. So he didn't take too well to that. And he pulled Antonio Pierce aside like, don't you dare talk about the Patriots like that. And that was sort of it for Coach McDaniels in Vegas. It's a wild story. Uh, But look look at the vibes in the locker room now. I mean, they're smoking cigars after wins. They play the Jets this weekend. I'll get to my NFL picks in just a second. But I did want to shift, though, into one of Grady's teams, the Carolina Panthers. Not really necessarily talk about them, but talk about the team that they lost to, which would be the Chicago Bears. Uh, and what was uh, – I, I want to give a, a shout-out to Al Michaels, to Kirk Herbstreet, and briefly Jason Kelsey, who was in the booth at one point calling the game uh, and was really the most entertaining aspect of that game last night. We knew going in 
it was going to be a sleeper. It was going to be low scoring, bad offense. It's Chicago, so it was going to be cold. The coaching was not exactly going to be uh, Bill Walsh versus Vince Lombardi. Kind of had to. There's certain games where announcers kind of have to make something out of nothing. Uh, and, and this was one of those games, but the Bears ended up winning 16-13. I, I took Chicago to win. I took Chicago to cover, too. They came that close. Very frustrating. But uh, look, Tyson Bajant, fine. You know, average QBRs. Uh, I'm sorry, QBR of uh, 47, pass rating of, of 73. No turnovers, so props to him. Chicago won. And I'm seeing some folks say, oh, man, Chicago should not have won this game. You got to remember... They they have Carolina's pick. They beat Carolina last night. So essentially what the Bears did, Laura Rutledge was talking about this on ESPN yesterday on, I think it was NFL Live. And she said, that, hey, I mean, the, the Bears win regardless. If they, if they lose, okay, their pick goes higher. And if they win, their pick, which was really Carolina's pick, but because the Bryce Young trade, it now belongs to Chicago, their pick just stays at the top. And currently, currently as we sit, season ended today, the Bears had the first pick of the draft and the fifth pick of the draft. Now, if you're a Bears fan, you'd like that second pick to be a little higher. You'd like to have like the first pick and like the third worst case fourth pick. So you could take a quarterback and probably take Marvin Harrison Jr., the superstar wide receiver out of Ohio State, who's going to go, no doubt, within the first three or four picks, uh, depending on who's drafting, whether they need a quarterback. But I talked about on Wednesday about how the Jets, I was talking about the Zach Wilson situation, about how the... The Jets refused to admit they were wrong on Zach Wilson. And this situation isn't a refuse to admit you were wrong on something uh, in terms of an NFL team or franchise. But they refused to admit they were wrong on Zach Wilson. Like, no, we're going to stick with him. He's the backup plan for Aaron Rodgers because Rodgers isn't going to go down. I mean, he's only 39 years old with an injury history playing behind an awful offensive line. And four, four plays in the season, he went down and they didn't have a backup plan. And they have since yet to have a backup plan other than Zach Wilson. Carson Wentz, you guys know I'm not a fan of, but I take him over Zach Wilson any day of the week. Carson Wentz was on the market. They didn't take him. He's an LA Ram now. But the Minnesota Vikings said, you know what? We're smart. We're a well-run franchise. Listen, Minnesota may not have the Super Bowls. By and large, it's been a pretty well-run organization. We don't look at the Minnesota Vikings and be like, oh, what a joke. We do about the Jets. But Minnesota looked at the Jets. I don't know if they necessarily looked at the Jets, but they certainly learned from the Jets' mistake. And like, okay, Kirk Cousins, our franchise quarterback, goes down for the season, torn Achilles. It's awful. We were playing good football, and darn it, our quarterback went down for the year. So we're going to adjust. We are going to reverse course. We're going to trade for Joshua Dobbs in Arizona. How's that worked out? The Vikings, they were number nine, by the way, on my Bryce's best 10. I'd probably have them higher than most, but they're, they're on a four-game winning streak. Defense is playing well, and they have about as good of a replacement as you could have for Kirk Cousins as possible in Dobbs. Well, now is an opportunity for the Bears, who have in the last 40, not 40 years, but about 35 years, save for a couple of seasons, been pretty mediocre to bad. This year, they're bad for a second straight or third straight year. They have an opportunity to learn from the mistake of the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals are about to make a mistake right now. So Arizona, we knew they're going to be bad coming into the season. Jonathan Gannon, I'm not sure if he's going to be here beyond this year. We'll see. The team seems to play hard for them, so there's something to be said about that. But it's not a very talented roster, and we knew they were going to be in the quarterback market at season's end. But they have this young, expensive, but very talented quarterback with all the upside in the world, and we've seen it in Kyler Murray. Now, Kyler, who's injured, got hurt at the end of last season. I think it was a Monday night game. I think they played New England. It was a Monday night game. Arizona, Kyler, unfortunately, went down with the ACL injury. And he's going to play Sunday. 
He's going to play Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons. And my guess is, I'll predict this game later, but my guess is he's healthy. He's had a lot of time to recover. The Falcons don't have a ton of film on him from this year. My guess is he's going to play pretty well because I've, ne- I've never been a Kyler fan. I've never acknowledged his, he's incredibly talented. There's a reason he went number one overall. It definitely wasn't because of his, his intangibles, his leadership, or lack thereof. But arm strength is off the charts for a guy his size. Uh, he's probably the second or third most mobile quarterback in the league, up there with Lamar and Fields. And what the Cardinals are going to do is they're going to play Kyler Murray because they just traded Dobbs. And I'm like, okay, they traded Dobbs. They're going to try. They're going to go Clayton Toon the rest of the season, tank the season, and get the first pick. Nope. They're going to play Kyler. And because Arizona plays the last place schedule, if you look at the Cardinals' uh, schedule down the stretch, again, they play Atlanta on Sunday. But then they got Houston, Rams, Steelers, Niners, Bears, Eagles, Seahawks. A lot of tough games in there. Niners, Steelers, Seattle, Philly. They're going to win a couple of those, two, three of those. And it's going to cost them Caleb Williams. And so now what they're going to be a situation in is where they get the third best quarterback in the draft. Who knows if Kyle looks good beyond this game? And who knows what the trade market will be? Now, for the record, Trey Lance went for a fourth round pick. So Kyler Murray will undoubtedly go for more than that. But then again, he makes a lot more money. He's on that massive contract extension in 2022. Trey Lance obviously has, has not gotten that. But the Chicago Bears, who have a Bill Wild run for a while, have a great opportunity in front of them to say, okay, we can't control Carolina's destiny outside of what we did against them last night. We beat them. Carolina's going to be bad the rest of the season, have the first, second, third pick. Now it's up to us to hold up our end of the bargain in our own best interest. We, like the Cardinals, have a kind of a raw, talented quarterback. We've seen the upside, but the downside is really bad. He's still a bit of an unknown because the supporting cast around him isn't awesome. It's not terrible. It's not great either. Talking about Justin Fields. Trust me, there's teams out there they'll give Justin Fields a second crack at it. They'll give him a second opportunity if they're desperate enough for quarterback. I could see the Falcons, who won't draft high enough to get one of the high-end guys. I could see them trading for Justin Fields. I could see a team such as, I mean, look down the list here at potential quarterback uh, destinations. I don't know. Would the the Raiders consider it? They're not going to draft terribly high. Would they consider it? What the Bears can do. He's hold out Justin Fields the rest of the season. Play Tyson Bajan for, for the rest of the season. Probably not win a ton of games. Tank the year. Got Carolina's high pick. You've got your high pick. And you've got a great asset in Justin Fields who you can move for more draft capital and maybe more players. I mean, you got players. You got DJ Moore for the, in the Bryce Young trade. Again, these are opportunities that... Don't come around so often. Chicago, now Chicago botched the 2022 draft. I don't think there's any question about that. They had the ninth pick in the draft, traded it to Philly, who took Jalen Carter, who was the number one player on my draft board, the number one player on a lot of people's draft boards, but slid because of some personal issues, some off-field stuff. But Philadelphia, smart organization. I can't stand the Eagles, but I've never acknowledged that they're not an incredibly well-run franchise. They said, Jalen Carter, Bears, you're, you're giving us the pick? Oh, thank you very much. Chicago botched it. They botched a lot of things historically there. Got an opportunity to right some old wrongs to a certain degree. Carolina's going to have a high pick. Ensure you have a high pick. And ensure that Justin Fields, 
doesn't potentially put any more bad tape out there because the Cardinals are about to screw themselves over here by playing Kyler Murray. Don't do the same to yourself, Chicago. That's all I'm saying. Couple, couple comments here. Uh, Grady asks, is Frank, being Frank Reich, for the head coach of the Panthers, is he going to be one and done? Well, he's, I, I thought that the Panthers could actually contend for the NFC South, believe it or not. I think I had them going eight and nine. I had them finishing second to the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I thought they could compete for the Saints because while their rosters are clear, I mean, we're seeing now clearly not comparable. The coaching gap, I thought Frank Reich was a significantly better coach than Dennis Allen. Still don't trust Dennis Allen, but was Frank Reich, is it fair to say he might have been a little bit of a product of Andrew Luck that one year in 2018? Maybe. I understand he made the, the, the playoffs another year with, with, with Phillip Rivers, old Phillip Rivers in 2020. I understand that. Uh, and again, I don't want to, I, I've been like emphasizing this all week and I want to make myself abundantly clear. I'm not just making a bunch of excuses for Bryce young and whatever. He's not playable. He, he didn't look, he had, he had a couple of nice throws last night. That offensive line Carolina is bad. The defense isn't great. The receiving core. I mean, Adam Thielen, DJ Chark. Are you kidding me? Uh, Hayden Hurst. And I, I think Hayden Hurst does some awesome work off the field in terms of mental health. God bless that man. What he's done off the field. But in terms of his on-field production, it feels like maybe he was a product of Joe Burrow. That's what Carolina, that's what Bryce Young is working with. So if you're the Panthers, you invest in that offensive line, maybe make a move for receiver. Now, again, you don't have your pick. So Carolina, there's no there's no gain in them losing games. There, there's, no, there's no benefit of them losing games because their pick goes to Chicago. But they wouldn't have Bryce Young in the first place for that reason, but... That's where they're at. So the Panthers are in a bit of a weird spot. Tepper, I, I try to give Tepper an opportunity. Uh, maybe it's I, I have an affinity for Carolina. I'm not saying I'm a Panthers fan. I never have been, but I have an affinity for Carolina because they're relatively close. I, I'm, obviously, I live in Tennessee, but they're relatively close to where I'm at. I've seen the stadium. Never been to a game there, but I've seen the stadium. Uh, you know, I know a lot of Panthers fans, including Grady. So, like, I want them to be good. I want a Tepper to be good. He's not. Uh, Frank Reich has gone off to a rough start. I think Bryce Young has potential if you put the right pieces around him. That's not going for you right now. So that's where I'm at in Carolina today. I mean, I didn't I didn't watch last night and be like, man, I didn't know that Carolina's O-line was terrible. Bryce was limited from a size perspective, and they weren't terribly well coached. Didn't shock me at all. That's why I took Chicago. I mean, Chicago had a Montez swept. Tyson Beja has been playing fine at quarterback. Uh, they do have the weapons there, running game, improved offensive line. Like it, it, at home, it felt like Chicago was kind of, kind of predetermined they were going to win to a certain extent. But uh, yeah, I did think they'd cover though, so I was, I was wrong on that one. I was definitely wrong about that one. But listen, let's. Here's to we, this is a reward for NFL fans, okay? So and, and I don't want to ever sound like because see when we get into. July, August, I would die for, for for Bears Panthers. I'm like, just give me football. I don't care. Give me a game to watch. Early to mid-November, it's like, give me some good games. Give me an opportunity to see two of the best. I'll say this, though. We will have two of the best next week, and this game very much impacts my Steelers. Bengals-Ravens from Baltimore on Thursday Night Football, six days from now. That will be a massive game. Uh... Assuming after this weekend, again, I'll predict uh, both the Bengals and Ravens games in, in just a moment. But assuming both of them are within, there's there, there's a, a decent, a reachable gap between the Bengals and the Ravens. That 
could decide the division. I mean, as we sit here today, the Bengals are basically a, a game and a half back, and because they lost Baltimore, might as well be, be two games back uh, of that division lead. But Cincinnati can maybe catch them. I did pick them to win the division before the season, even though I think Baltimore's roster is better. Uh, but that said, if we can pull up all of our graphics here, and if we can pull up the background music in just a second right here. Okay. Start the background music. NFL predictions. Week 10. Germany, second straight game in Germany that we've got here. It is between the Indianapolis Colts and the New England Patriots. Certainly isn't going to generate the headlines that, uh, that the Chiefs and the Dolphins game did. But Indianapolis, New England, a game of, I mean, these two teams used to be in the same division. We remember all those Manning versus Brady battles in AFC title games in years past in Indianapolis and in New England. But Colts on a neutral site are a two and a half point favorite in this one. So for Indianapolis last week, they got a, a big W against, excuse me, against Carolina. A very opportunistic defense. You got two pick sixes off of Bryce Young. So they take advantage of quarterbacks who throw a lot of picks. And Mac Jones would be one of those. Here's a fun stat or not so fun stat if you are a Patriots fan or a Mac Jones defender, of which I know a few. But here's a Mac Jones stat that uh, y'all aren't going to love if I have it here. Uh, hang on for a second. Yeah, it looks like, yeah, here it is. Okay, Mac Jones has, according to Pro Football Focus, the most turnover-worthy plays in the NFL with 18 he also is tied for the NFL lead in picks with nine. So simply put, Mac Jones will give you opportunities to catch the ball if you're the defense. Indianapolis took advantage of that last week. That said, I think Belichick has, you know, w- when does Belichick struggle with with young or younger quarterbacks? We forget Gardner Minshew is in year five. He's no, he's no spring chicken, but he's also not necessarily a vet. Um, Belichick struggles with mobile guys. So if Anthony Richardson was playing this game, I'd say take the Colts to cover, take the Colts convincingly. That's not the case with Gardner Minshew. He can move, but he's more of a pocket guy. So I'll take the Patriots and the points, but the Colts to win outright. I'll say like on a walk-off field goal or something, but Indianapolis wins. Take New England plus two and a half, but Indianapolis wins 23-22 to over in the New England Patriots. And they get to five and five, you know, keep themselves in that position to compete for a wild card spot. The wild card race in the AFC is, for lack of a better term, wild right now. A lot, a lot of teams that are gunning for those uh, those last two spots. I mean, the AFC North, the entire AFC North is uh, all two games, or at least two games over 500, which just goes to show you the depth of that division. Now it's the afternoon game, so the one o'clock window, at least here on the East Coast, a sneaky good game. I mean, we, we look at the schedule before the season. There's always games that we look back and like, this this turns out this is a pretty big game. Houston Texans, Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals are a six and a half point home favorite in this one. So very, I will say this. Again, it's November at this point. Everybody's injured. But Texans and Bengals can certainly make their case that they're dealing with the most injuries in this regard. So if you look at... Houston's uh, injury report. There's almost a dozen guys basically out with essentially a dozen guys out with injury. The Bengals, on the other hand, not as many, but far more impactful guys. T Higgins out for this game. Sam Hubbard out for this game. Jamar Chase is questionable. It's trending like he's going to play. It looks like Jamar Chase with the back injury will be set to go, but both teams really deal with injuries across the board. Cincinnati minus six. I will have to say this. I almost took this. If I were a bet man, I almost took, uh, 
this is almost my if I were a Batman game. I'm going to take Houston the points just for the simple fact that uh, Cincinnati dealing with the loss of their second-best receiver. Now, Houston's defense, we know, gave up 37 last week to Baker Mayfield, but the year prior, I get it's Carolina, but they only gave up 15, and that 15, 15th point was on a walk-off field goal. So, uh, if you're the Houston Texans, you're playing, you, you got a defensive coach, D'Amico Ryans. The offensive line in Houston is not great, but C.J. Stroud, we know from that last game, throwing for 470 and five touchdowns has played unbelievable football. He is, in my mind, the front runner by a pretty significant margin to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Here's the thing. Lua Morano, defensive coordinator, Cincinnati Bengals. He has a history with kind of containing young, talented quarterbacks. He's done it with Mahomes. He's done it with Allen. Could he do it with C.J. Stroud? I think he will. I will take the Bengals to win, obviously, but I'll take the Texans and the points uh, to cover. Uh, I do think Cincinnati's defense is tremendous. I do think, however, the loss of T. Higgins will be impactful. Uh, Cincinnati won't be able to run the ball as much, so I will take the I will take the Bengals to win 24-19, but they will not cover. Six and a half feels like a lot. If it were four, four and a half, I would absolutely take Cincinnati to cover, uh, but out, uh, six and a half feels like a lot, so I will take the Bengals to win 24-19. It is now time. Pull up my, myself the screen. It is now time for my favorite segment on Carving Up Live. Yeah, Era betting man. This is a good one. I'm taking a good hard look at two of the most iconic franchises in NFL history. They are the Green Bay Packers, and they are my Pittsburgh Steelers from Acrisure Stadium. Want to say Heinz Field so bad? Acrisure Stadium. My Steelers are three and a half point favorites. So both teams coming off a win, a little bit of an ugly win. Pittsburgh surviving at the gun against Tennessee. Green Bay playing a backup quarterback with the Rams at home at Lambeau, relying heavily on the running game. The stock on Jordan Love is much higher. They won that game, by the way, 20-3 over the Rams. Steelers won 20-16 over the uh, over the Tennessee Titans. So the, nobody's going to mistake Green Bay or for Pittsburgh for having overly dynamic offenses. But Green Bay, everybody's high on Jordan Love. Oh, he had a pass rating over 100. Yeah, he threw for 220, a touchdown, and congratulations. You got 184 yards rushing for a team playing a backup quarterback in Brett Rippon, but that's not that you're not there at home. At Pittsburgh, though, is going to be a little bit of a different challenge. Mike Tomlin coming off an extra three days of pe- preparation on Matt LaFleur, this Packers office, Jordan Love in particular. Jordan has struggled outside of last week. Last week's the first time in darn near two months that he's not turned the football over. So playing clean football, props to him. But if there's anything I know about, my Pittsburgh Steelers is they they get to the quarterback. TJ Watt, a few extra days to to rest his he's got an injured hand. Uh you've got Alex Highsmith, who is a, who had a big game last week, got to the quarterback multiple times, multiple pressures. I think he had somewhere like six or seven pressures against Tennessee. So they can get to the quarterback. Neither offensive line is great. Green Bay pass rush is fine. Uh, but no, I, I think make I think Pittsburgh and Matt Canada, who's gonna be on the sideline. Sideline Canada is not as much of an albatross around the offense's neck as Matt Canada from the booth. So maybe just maybe, maybe I still love Matt Canada, but maybe we will do something that we have not done all season long. Outgain the opponent. I think it happens on Sunday. Give me the Pittsburgh Steelers 24 to 10 over the Green Bay Packers to get to six and three. And finally, the, the Steelers will have more yards in total than the opponents. And somehow, some way, will be six and three and be the number one wildcard team in a stacked AFC. 
Unbelievable. Pittsburgh, if I were a bet man, and by the way, I'm not betting, well, actually, I, I might be betting a little something with a member of my family who is a diehard Packers fan. But my terrible towel will be out, okay? Terrible towel will be out. Go Steelers, minus three and a half. Pittsburgh wins, 24 210. Moving on to our next game, we got the Tennessee Titans, the team Pittsburgh just beat, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, from Tampa Bay, Florida. So the Buccaneers, ever so slight home favorite, minus one. So this could end up being a pick 'em game by the time kickoff rolls around. So Tampa Bay coming off of a really disheartening loss, really two straight, three straight uh, disheartening losses. They lose in a walk off field goal to Atlanta. They, if Chris Godwin turns around, they win on a Hail Mary against the Buffalo Bills. Perfectly thrown ball by Baker Mayfield. Chris Godwin, just, the wide receiver, just didn't see it coming. It fell incomplete. And then last week, looks like they have the lead for good with about 40 seconds left uh, against Houston. Texans need a touchdown. And C.J. Stroud, doing what C.J. Stroud's done a lot this season, goes boom, 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 boom down the field and wins the game on a walk-off touchdown. So, Tampa Bay's played some close games as of late. But... Tennessee, Mike Vrabel, well-coached team, similar to Mike Tomlin. He got an extra three days to prepare for this game on the road in Tampa Bay. Now, the Bucs have a good defense. They didn't show it last week. He gave up uh, 39 points, obviously, and 40 uh, over 500 yards total offense to the Houston Texans. I understand that. But Mike Vrabel, extra time to prepare. I Again, I, you guys know I haven't been the biggest, biggest Baker fan. I can't hate him last, this year. I think Baker's actually played, given the circumstances, Baker's played pretty well this year. I, I, I can't hate him. He played great last week and um, got some help from his defense, running game, wide receivers, and et cetera. Props to him for doing what he's done. It feels like the pixie dust is about to run out right now. Uh, so I will go, if I can pull up the graphic here, I'm going to go with the Tennessee Titans to win. Take Tennessee plus one. Again, this could be a pick by kickoff. But Tennessee wins 20-17. to A little bit of a defensive battle. Two defensive coaches in Vrabel and Bowles. But Tennessee wins 20-17 to over Tampa Bay to get to four and five and put themselves potentially in the, on the, a little bit of the outside looking in, certainly of the actual playoffs, but at least the playoff hunt in the AFC. Moving on to a big matchup. This was a tough one for me. This was almost my uh, Bryce's bleak back game. Cleveland Browns and Baltimore Ravens. Big NFC, I'm sorry, uh, NFC, AFC North matchup. Uh, Cleveland and Baltimore. Baltimore, big favorites here, minus six and a half. So Deshaun Watson back for a second straight game. Played okay last week. Again, he was playing the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, you know, had a touchdown to Amari Cooper. Probably should have been a pick. It got tipped. But Amari, great hand-eye coordination, pulls it in. As for Baltimore, look, they've been number one on Bryson's best 10 the last two weeks. Uh, there's not really much, and I hate the Ravens, truly, but there's not much of what the Ravens are doing right now that I can't that I can hate on. So Lamar Jackson's playing unbelievable football. Completion percentage uh, tops in the NFL. You also look at the fact that the Ravens' defense is number one in the league in scoring defense. They, they're giving up less points than anybody. They're turning the football over. Patrick Queen and, and Roquan Smith are playing unbelievable. Jadavian Clowney has somehow resurrected his career in Baltimore. He played for Cleveland at one point. So listen, the Browns, Miles Garrett, uh, expect him to keep it close for a little while. But somehow, someway, I just think the explosiveness in this Ravens offense uh, is going to get going. So I like Baltimore win this game. And frankly, I like him to win it comfortably. 31-14. to 14, I will take them to cover. Six and a half is a lot, especially for a divisional game featuring two great defenses. But Deshaun looked fine last week. But by and large, aside from one game against Tennessee, he's played pretty bad football uh, so I have no reason to believe that that is going to, uh, to get, that is going to change this week playing arguably the best defense in the sport on the road Baltimore smoked Cleveland last time albeit Dorian Thompson Robinson was playing but he still played Lamar Jackson still played that Browns defense so I'll take the Ravens to win this game 31 
214 over the Cleveland Browns. Next up to me is the best game of the weekend. Both teams coming off a bye. Both great coaches. It's the San Francisco 49ers. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars from Jacksonville, Florida. Duval County, Florida, stand up. Uh, 49ers on the road, minus three. This was almost my upset of the week. It is not. I have a good bigger spread that I'm taking. Uh, and no, it is not the Giants over the Cowboys. But uh, 49ers, three-point favorites on the road in Jacksonville. So again, as I mentioned, both teams coming off of buys this week. Both have excellent offensive coaches, one of them a Super Bowl winner, that being Doug Peterson. If you look at both quarterbacks, though, they've been trending in opposite directions. Brock Purdy, who started the season hot, is going backwards. Trevor, who started the season really cold, is going forwards. And the Jaguars' five-game winning streak, which is the longest in the NFL, Trevor Lawrence, a 100 passer rating in that stretch. As for Brock Purdy, a guy who had not thrown an interception in his first five games uh, of the season, Against Cleveland, he threw one interception. Against the uh, Minnesota Vikings, he threw two, both in the fourth quarter, albeit he was likely concussed in that game. Against the Cincinnati Bengals, a great defense two weeks ago, uh, Brock Purdy uh, just, uh, threw an interception in the fourth quarter of that game, too, down the red zone, which really killed the the Bengal, uh, the, the, the Niners' chances to win and two interceptions in total. I think Brock's going to, you know, listen, he's got Trent Williams, it looks like, coming back from injury, potentially, and Debo Samuel certainly is coming back from injury as well. So that is going to be huge for Brock Purdy. He has not thrown a pick this year with Debo Samuel in the lineup. He's a dynamic player. You can use him any way you want offensively. Uh, but here's the thing for Jacksonville, and here's the reason, reason I'm leaning Jacksonville. So the Jaguars are first in the NFL in takeaways. And the way Brock Purdy's been sloppy with the football as a play, although I don't think he'll be as sloppy, I think fourth quarter, it's going to be a tight game. Uh, I could see a scenario in which uh, he gets a little loose of the football, trying to fit it into a tough window, and Jacksonville breaks the game open. I love what Trevor Lawrence is doing. If Joe Burrow hung 31 on this on this Niners defense with a questionable at best offensive line, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to do more of the same. This is going to be Trevor's breakout game. And Monday's show, 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, I will be talking about Trevor Lawrence as the MVP frontrunner. Give me the Jaguars Duval 30 20 over the Niners and San Francisco, a team that I proclaimed sometimes takes on age well, folks. They just don't. I proclaimed after that win against the Cowboys in week five, I said the Niners could have the best team, the most talented team in NFL history. And since that, they've yet to win a game, and I think that will continue. Give me the Jaguars, 30-20 to 20, over the San Francisco 49ers. Next up is another game featuring a road team that is a three-point favorite. It is the Saints. It is the Vikings from Minnesota in U.S. Bank Stadium. Again, Saints, as I just mentioned, are three-point favorites in this one on the road, similar to San Francisco in Jacksonville. So the Saints actually lost to Jacksonville just three weeks ago. Ever since, have seemed to get it right offensively. Derek Carr had a big, big game. Played very well two weeks ago against the Indianapolis Colts on the road. Uh, and then, listen, the, the, the Saints scored 38 in total. The Carr was good. Carr was very efficient. 19-27, uh, to 27, couple touchdowns. QBR of 80, pass rating of 133. Last week, not as crisp against Chicago, but it's Chicago, so you can, there's room for error. You can make mistakes and still beat a bad football team. Uh, Derek Carr played pretty well in that game. A couple touchdown passes there. And another pass, uh, pass rate of 100. So, the Saints offense, Alvin Kamara, who's really gotten it going the last few weeks, has seemed to kind of get it back together. The Saints' defense, which could not take the ball away to save their lives a year ago, is now in the top 10 in that regard. So, facing Space Dobbs, Joshua Dobbs, the pastronaut who dominated, dominated, see what I did there, the Atlanta Falcons, with no knowledge of the playbook, having taken no snaps under center, 
and having thrown no passes to the wide receivers in Minnesota and not even knowing their, their names. This is undeniably the smartest player in the NFL, maybe not in terms of X's and O's, which he probably is there too. He won a game without a playbook for crying out loud, but away from the game, he's basically a rocket scientist. Aerospace engineer major, we kind of at this point, I knew his story as a Tennessee fan, but I think the world kind of knows who Joshua Dobbs is, and there's going to be you know an increased sense of, uh, hey, we got to watch Minnesota. If we've got NFL Sunday ticket, or if you're you got the game locally in Minnesota or elsewhere in New Orleans, we gotta watch Joshua Dobbs, see what this kid does back to back weeks. Of course, he's not really a kid. He's I think he's 28 years old. So Minnesota's a three-point favorite. Now, I was thinking actually about taking New Orleans, but as we sit here today on Friday, Kevin O'Connell and the Vikings say that Justin Jefferson is questionable to play. Now, Jefferson. We know what he, who he is and what he represents. He's one of the best receivers in the sport. Said that he would not come back until he is 100% healthy. Well, the fact that he's questionable makes you think, well, if he's 90%, does he come back? Maybe. And Joshua Dobbs, who won a game last week against the sixth-ranked defense of the league in Atlanta on the road with no Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, with injuries to the offensive line and to his number one back. <laughs> yeah, listen. I would have picked the Vikings last week had I known Dobbs would have played. I said that on my show last week. I said, if, if, if it's Jaron Hall, God bless the kid, but I'm going with Atlanta. But it was Josh Dobbs. And it's Josh Dobbs this week. He knows the playbook now. He knows his receivers' names now. He probably has their phone numbers now. Give me the Minnesota Vikings. Give me Robert Joshua Dobbs. 27-23 to 23 over the New Orleans Saints. Take no, no, don't take. Smash that button or whatever button on whatever sports book you're betting on. Take the Vikings plus three and to win outright. 27 to 23. I trust Minnesota situationally more than I trust New Orleans. And I don't think they'll be able to account for Dobbs' legs as much as they would hope. Give me Minnesota to win their fifth straight game and get right in the thick of the NFC wildcard picture and scare Seattle a little bit and put some heat on Detroit as well. Give me the Vikings. My final score of 27 to 23. To the afternoon slate of games, you got the Atlanta Falcons, you got the Arizona Cardinals. Atlanta is a two-point favorite uh, on the road. So here's what I'm looking at, and it's it's, it's fitting that uh, this happens to be, I should have mentioned this, Bryce's bleak bet. It's the one game every week that I've absolutely zero prediction, uh, zero confidence in predicting, but hey, you gotta predict the ball when it's all said and done. So Falcons again, as I mentioned, two-point favorite. So Listen, Atlanta wasn't bad offensively against the Minnesota Vikings last week. They scored 28. Uh, some of that was aided by their defense. They did get a safety in that game and multiple turnovers. But Taylor Heineke, for his limitations, size, arm talent, played okay. I mean, given the fact that Minnesota's defense has really come on at the end of this, uh, the middle of the season, uh, last week, Taylor Heineke, a touchdown, QBR 75, I'm sorry, QBR 75, pass rating 75, did get some aid from his running game, over 100 yards rushing uh, from Bijan and company, which I wish the Falcons would get Bijan the ball. Maybe the fact that Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Falcons, maybe that he's gotten rid of that mustache will help matters. Uh, maybe that'll, you know, it wasn't even Top Gun mustache, it was just a straight stash. He got rid of it, he said he regrets it, but I don't think he will, but... Kyler's back for Arizona. I think the Cardinals are making a massive mistake in doing this with Kyler. They're going to end up winning two or three games potentially and screwing themselves out of being in a position to take Caleb Williams. But it's the Cardinals. This is what they do. They tend to screw things up. So I'm going to take Arizona. I, I, I don't feel great about this. I have no confidence in this pick. But I'll take Arizona 27 to 21 over Atlanta. I wasn't, I didn't buy in the Falcons this season. Obviously, I didn't buy in the Cardinals either. I had them winning one single solitary game this season, but that was under the assumption that Kyler wasn't going to play this year. Well, 
Playing Kyler gives me the implication that you're not tanking. So, give me Arizona. I'm sorry, yeah, give me Arizona. 21, yeah, 27 to 21 over the Atlanta Falcons. Moving on to our next one. This almost as well was the If I Were a Batman game. Very close. The Detroit Lions and the Los Angeles Chargers from LA. Detroit minus three on the road. So this is this is about as easy as they come, folks. Vegas is handing you money. So Detroit, timeout. The Lions, who are, for the record, in the race to potentially get the one seed. They're chasing Philadelphia right now as the rest of the conference is. But the Lions coming off of a bye in a game in which they moved the ball very well against Vegas but couldn't capitalize in the red zone. So you're telling me Dan Campbell, Ben Johnson, and this very talented roster coming off of a bye against the last-ranked pass defense in football? I mean, this is as easy as, easy as they come. Jared Goff, Jameer Gibbs, Amandra St. Brown, Jamison Williams, Sam Laporta, Jordan Montgomery, uh, or, uh, uh, yeah, jo- uh, Jordan Montgomery back in the lineup uh, for the Detroit Lions. I, I don't even know, need to elaborate more on this. Justin Herbert's going to be running for his life. Kellen Moore's going to be another albatross around his neck, as is Brandon Staley. I mean, am I supposed to be impressed by the Chargers? They beat Tyson Beja and Zach Wilson the last two weeks. Congratulations, okay? You did the, did the bare minimum on the class project. We have to do more than that to get credit for this one to get an A+. You will not. Detroit wins by double digits, 34-24. to 24. I think this Lions offense is going to run wild, to pass wild, to go up and down the field on this Los Angeles Chargers team. Detroit wins this one, 34-24. Again, this almost was the if I were a Batman game, but I decided to go with Pittsburgh because there's no way Jordan Love is going to go to go to Pittsburgh and win. But Detroit wins. Lions Nation, I'm not a, I'm not even a Lions fan, but Lions fans have, have almost adopted me into the fan base because I've been so praiseworthy of their team. Detroit, 34. Chargers, 24. Uh, it is now time for my upset of the week. Give me the Washington Commanders over the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks, a big, I should say big, a decent-sized favorite, minus six at home. Washington wins outright 28 to 25. Here's what I'm looking at. So I know people's stock is low in Washington. I didn't have them going terribly far this year, but I also didn't think Sam Howell will be as good as he's been this year. I mean, Sam Howell, you look at his numbers this season. Coming off of two two weeks ago, he played awesome against the Philadelphia Eagles. He struggled with turnovers. He's thrown nine picks, but he has 14 touchdowns in the year, 2,400 yards on the season. So he can take shots down the field. If the offensive line in Washington plays somewhat well, uh, he's he's been he's shown to be pretty accurate. He makes decent. He's pretty decent outs of the pocket. Very good at making throws in the pocket. Has an underrated arm, if I do say so myself. He's playing a good Seattle defense. I understand that, uh, and I get the whole notion. I. I get the thing. Seattle got humiliated by Baltimore. They only had six first downs. I think Geno Smith is, is, we talk about Brock Purdy trending in the wrong direction. Geno Smith even more so. At least Brock Purdy, we've seen him be great. Geno played well last season, led the league in pass rating. We never saw Geno as a guy who could lead Seattle to a Super Bowl. Part of that's the roster. Part of that's what's surrounding him. And that's the same situation with Brock Purdy. But Geno Smith this season really struggling with the turnover bug in a way that he simply did not uh, last year. So against the Ravens last week, okay, Geno Smith on the day had an interception in this game, and he also lost a fumble. The week prior in a game that they won against the Cleveland Browns, Geno still struggled with the turnover bug. He had two interceptions and fumbled uh, in that game as well, although he recovered. Uh, so he struggled. I mean, he had a goal, he had a uh, red zone interception against the Arizona Cardinals. He's, he struggled in the red zone against the Bengals before that. So Seattle really struggles to cap when they get down into the red area. And I, look, I looked at this. 
Washington's defense is top 10 in the NFL in takeaways. So as Geno continues to play sloppy football, we get on Ron Rivera. I don't think he's done a great job this year. His conservative coaching drives me crazy. And it drives my man Parnell crazy here at the grid. Commander's Demand podcast. Check it out. Uh, he'll probably be live after the game. Or maybe he'll be live after the game. We'll see. But he, comm- he covers the Commanders. Check him out. Uh, conservative coaching for Rivera. Not great. But his defense takes the ball away. And I think they will do that with Seattle. So put the final score up there one more time. I've got the Commanders in my upset of the week. 28-25. to 25 over the Seattle Seahawks. I've been, I've picked the Commanders a lot this season, but I like my pick. I get they traded Montez Sweat. I understand it. And I get they barely beat Mac Jones on the road. It's just, it's one of those games that you look at, like Seattle should win. If there's always one game a week, that's why I have an upset of the week. There's always that one game where you're like, that kind of shocked us. I think it's going to be Washington on the road in Seattle. Next game. Biggest favorite of the season to this point. New York Giants going to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Dallas is a 17-point favorite. That is a college line, and for good reason. Dallas, who I believe, and believe in more than most, I think they're the fourth-best team in football behind only Baltimore, Philadelphia, and Kansas City. Dak Prescott, over the last three games, has been marvelous. Dak against, so he had that rough game against the Niners in which everybody wanted to trade Dak. Oh, Dak's not the guy. Dak, Dak, Dak. And what is Dak? He says, I, I, I got you. I'm going to have a 109 pass rating lead a game winning drive against the LA Chargers. And then I'm going to follow that up two weeks later against the Los Angeles Rams. And I'm going to throw for not one, not two, not three, not four. Actually, right at four. Four touchdown passes on the day against the Los Angeles Rams. And I have a pass rating of 133. Well, play a good team. Okay, I'll go to Philadelphia. Albeit not a very good pass defense, but it still is on the road at Philly. It's a tough place to win. And old Dak did was throw for 374. Three touchdowns, no turnovers, and had a passer rating of 115. That's the first time in Dak's career where he's had a passer rating of 115 or above and lost. Dallas obviously couldn't uh, couldn't score, couldn't capitalize in the red zone. But listen, Dallas's defense did not play terribly well. Didn't take the ball away from Philadelphia despite the three fumbles by the Eagles. Gave up 28 points, albeit they did shut them out in the fourth quarter. But Dallas is kind of, Dallas defense is kind of irritated with how they played. There's a lot of, oh, Dallas, they're taking moral victories. The standard's different in Dallas than it is everywhere else. No, 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 There are positives. There genuinely are, believe it or not. There are positives to take out of losses, whether it's in life or in games. Two things can be true at once. Um, The Giants are in about as bad of a spot as any team in the NFL. So they've got Tommy DeVito, who I think twice today on national television I've heard mistakenly referred to as Danny DeVito. Hey, I love Danny like the rest of us. Who doesn't love Danny DeVito? You know, all the movies, and he's on the he's on the Jersey Mike's commercial. Everybody loves Danny DeVito, okay? Danny DeVito is not starting quarterback, but... He might as well be given how Tommy's playing. So a shot at Danny. Great. Not <laughs> nobody's gonna mistake him for an NFL quarterback. And honestly, the same unfortunately can be said about Tommy DeVito. So they literally didn't let him throw a pass beyond the line of scrimmage, essentially, against the Jets, in which Tommy DeVito against the New York Jets. I get the Jets defense hat is really good. It is. It's a very good defense. He had Negative one passing yards. He had seven attempts, two for seven, negative one yard, and a pass rating in the 30s. I'm shocked it wasn't lower than that. He was about as bad as you could be because the Giants didn't trust him. He was thrust into action last week when Daniel Jones unfortunately tore his ACL against Vegas. 
So going to Dallas, in which the Cowboys have not lost a home game since week one of 2022, with that defense, with as bad as the Giants' offensive line is, with Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, and company, with the way Dak in this offense, Dak and CeeDee Lamb are clicking right now, maybe the best wide receiver quarterback tandem in the league. 17-point spreads. There's a reason it's a 17-point spread. Give me the Cowboys. And this Ryan just keeps going up. I think the Cowboys are going to just mollywop the Giants. 48 to 6. If they beat them 40 to nothing on the road, in which Dak was virtually a non-factor with Daniel Jones in the lineup, with the Giants offensive line playing out there, and let's be honest, with the psyche of the team way higher than than it is now, what the Dallas may hang 50. I'm going to play it conservative. I'll give them 48. They may hang 50. I mean, I heard somebody say, how about Dallas 50-40-0? Wouldn't shock me. This is about as big of a mismatch as there is in the league. Dallas 48, Giants 6. Moving on to our final game. New York Jets. Why do we keep having to watch this freaking team in primetime? I get Aaron Rodgers was supposed to be available, but still. You could flex one of these games out. But Jets, Raiders, Sunday Night Football in Vegas. Uh, the Raiders at home. This is almost a pick game. The Raiders are a one-point favorite on their home field in uh, in uh, Elite, is Allegiant Stadium is where they play in Las Vegas. But listen, th- these are two organizations feeling very different about themselves, despite the fact that the Jets have a be- better record at 4-4 four and four compared to the Raiders 4-5. and five. So Vegas, we know, last week, fired Josh McDaniels. They bring in Antonio Pierce. He gives this fired-up, impassioned press conference. And you could tell that the Raiders were ready to play last week, albeit they played the Giants. They're not very good, but they won 30-6. to six. Aiden O'Connell played well. The vibes, the energy, the... Just the mood around that Raiders team in the locker room, on the field. They played with joy. They played with 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 the, with a sense of almost happiness to a certain degree. They were smoking cigars after the game. Will they be smoking cigars if they beat the Jets? We'll see. But the Jets, listen, the Raiders are feeling good about themselves. As for the Jets, they come off a blowout loss, twenty-seven to six, to the LA Chargers, in which the defense actually did all it could. They they gave up twenty. The special teams for the Jets gave up a, a punt return touchdown, but they gave up twenty. Justin Herbert was kind of irrelevant uh, for most of the game. Didn't do much. Uh, the, the Chargers running attack wasn't very good. Jets defense did their job. Problem was Zach Wilson continuously turning the ball over. Uh, this Jets offensive line is awful. Max Crosby, I think, is going to have an absolute field day with the New York Jets. And so, give me the Las Vegas Raiders 23-16 to over the Jets. I think the Jets defense, once again, will do all it can. But because they didn't have a backup plan for Zach Wilson... Give me the Raiders 23 to 16 over the New York Jets on Sunday night football. Raiders 23, Jets 16. So let's go back over before we get out of here. My three games upset the week. You can pull up my upset of the week. I've got the Commanders going to Seattle and getting a W over the Seahawks 28 to 25 in my Bryce's Bleak bet game. I've got the Cardinals 27 to 21 over the Atlanta Falcons. And in my if I were can we play the sound bite there? Can we can we play the sound bite? Bet man. Give me the Steelers 24 to 10 over the Green Bay. Packers. A little bit of a how I'll, I'll, I'll just be transparent with y'all. A little bit of a house divided on that game. Cheesehead Ozzy may or may not make an appearance. And in the event that we lose, uh, don't know what's going to happen on the show. It may not be good. But I've got Steelers minus three and a half. All right. That is all the time we have for today's show. Fun one. Jim Harbaugh, Michigan controversy, Otani watch. 
Bears, Panthers, I you know, tried to make out of that what I could and what everybody could. Uh, Volview and NFL picks. I want to know this week. Pick Chicago to win. So I feel good about the rest of the way. And my Steelers on Monday will be 6-3. and three, And we will finally outgain an opponent. I'm calling it. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Also, uh, forgot to mention this. Catch Carving Up Live on, at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Monday on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. And be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58, which is February the 11th. Uh, we've just passed the 500 subscriber mark, so we're growing, we're building. So if you have subscribed, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, please be sure to tell a friend to tell a friend about it, to subscribe to the show, get the word out. Everybody become a part of the Carving It Up family. If you haven't subscribed, hey, Takes a couple seconds. That button right down there, right there, the red one that says subscribe. Hit it, boom. Like John Madden said, boom. You're part of the Carving It Up family. Also, be sure to be a part of the Grid family and go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G R Y D, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere. You get your favorite podcasts. We have some incredible content creators in this network. It'd be great if you went on and checked them out. Great weekend of football. Play by the way, in season tournament tonight. It's it's in season tournament night in the NBA Friday. Can't wait to watch. Got some interesting games. Lakers Suns will be a fun one. I'll be watching. No doubt about it. Vols over the Missouri Tigers. Another blowout against Missouri in the Josh Heupel era. I don't think Georgia's gonna lose, but darn it, I'm hoping for it. We'll see. See y'all on Monday. Stay safe. Please be sure to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. We will see you on Monday after a great football weekend. Please stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. And shout out to all the vets out there. God bless y'all. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.